Um, so as, as we mentioned, uh, we have um, got a, a view from Mario Stratum from an analyst perspective around embedded value. He will uh, talk a little bit about that. And then we will open the floor to some discussion and questions um, after that. And once we're complete, we'll then move into our uh, next session straight after that, which we'll be talking about uh, the role of uh, actuaries on boards. So, over to you, Morris. Thank you very much, and good afternoon. Um, I'm Marius Stradum, and I'm the CEO of uh, MLAX Consulting. Uh, I have uh, 14 years' experience as an investment analyst in South Africa, but I do keep abreast with uh, developments in my new role, and uh, it's good to see that we're heading towards a goalpost uh, within, insofar as SAM goes, uh, although uh, IFRS uh, is going to take us a few more years to deliver. So I've asked, been asked to deliver some comments on uh, the cha p p p potential changes to APN 107 in the light of the introduction of SAM, uh, and my perspective is from that of an investor in South African life insurance companies and I have had some discussions with interested parties, um, including uh, Risto Katola from SPG Securities. He will be uh, covering the, the leg in Johannesburg, and uh, we fundamentally agree with each other um, in our comments. So there are a number of themes that are important to uh, investors in South African life assurance companies, and I'll explore, explore them a bit later. There are simplicity, consistency, and continuity. But let's... Let me tell you a bit of a story. Um, over the past 15 years, there have been meaningful developments on the life assurance uh, disclosure and analysis front. Unfortunately, and I take some blame for this at least uh, in the earlier part of my career, these developments served to make the understanding of life assurance stocks very difficult. Both sell-side and buy-side analysts in South Africa started digging deeper and deeper into the financials of life assurers and demanded more and more disclosure from companies which they provided in most cases. However, to a large extent, the fund managers that were the ultimate decision makers in investing in life assurers were often left behind. In meetings to discuss life assurance stocks, it often did not take long to see eyes starting to glaze over. There was a clear complexity discount being placed on what was affectionately known as the ugly stepchild in the financial sector space, read life assurers. And this became very apparent uh, by 2010 and 2011, when the sector was very undervalued. However, things started to change at this point, largely due to the increased involvement of emerging market fund managers outside of South Africa. These investors became interested in South African insurers because of the attractive fundamentals of these companies, they were more interested in the growth and recovery stories that many of these companies offered than having to spend hours of time trying to understand the intricacies and the complexities of embedded value disclosure. I spent many a meeting, especially with US-based uh, fund managers, where the term embedded value was not even used. Instead, we looked at IFRS earnings, free cash flow, and tangible net asset value as measures of value for life assurers. It is no wonder that the companies that either had less focus on embedded value 
or disclosed embedded values consistent with IFRS earnings were the ones that fared best. After a false start with the early adoption of MCEV, Old Mutual was increasingly evaluated on its ability to generate free cash flow, grow dividend, and uh, boosting top-line growth, with a specific focus on mass foundation in South Africa and expansion into sub-Saharan Africa. Sunlum was favored for its consistent ability to generate discretionary capital and investing it in exciting ventures in Africa, India, and Asia. The consistency in its disclosure between IFRS earnings and embedded value was a distinct bonus. Discovery went from strength to strength on the back of its ability to launch new businesses and to generate top-line growth. IFRS earnings, though, were the main, or was the main consideration. However, the difficulty in reconciling IFRS and embedded value earnings has remained a constant discussion point for investors when it comes to discovery. What I'm trying to highlight here is that it is important, I would actually say vital, that the changes in embedded value disclosure following the introduction of SAM do not undo some of the positive developments we have seen in the market for life insurance stocks. It would be damaging to the attraction and rating of the companies if the new basis introduces a steep learning curve for investors. There is a competitive market for South African equities. And although significant changes in EV methodology and disclosure may make the mouths of buy and sell side analysts water, the final decision makers, the fund managers, may choose the path of least resistance, which is to take profits and to switch into apparently simpler other stocks like SA banks. And remember, in the current environment, the, the price makers in the market are not the local fund managers. The local fund managers that, that have a deeper understanding of South African life assurers, that have more capacity to invest in a steep learning curve, that in actual fact have a vested interest in understanding uh, life assurers well. These price makers, the emerging market fund managers, have often have a thousand stocks, 1,000 stocks to choose from to put in their portfolios. And I can tell you from experience, if they don't understand it, if it takes too much effort to understand it, we'll gloss it over, especially if it's run very hard as the South African life insurer has, uh, in sector has already run. So, bring us to simplicity, consistency, and continuity. Investors would prefer the new EV approach to steer clear of theoretical purity in favor of simplicity, lower volatility, and transparency. They would prefer if the new approach avoided using MCEV totally. Um, it has never really been a popular concept uh, in the European context, and to tell you the truth, increasingly companies are moving away from it, or at least reducing, ref reducing references to it in disclosure. Equity investors believe in the risk premium. They are married to the risk premium. Um, they use it to analyze all of their stocks, whether it's mines, retailers, or banks. It would be unwise for life assurers to deviate in their disclosure from this approach. Many investors would just say, okay, to be able for us to understand this, we'll have to recalculate the numbers to allow for a risk premium uh, in our risk discount rate in any case. Um, investors like to use uh, the real-world risk premium approach for sensitivity analysis of discount rates versus asset returns, and it's easier for them 
to understand and allow for risks within different companies. And this is an important point. Most investors don't believe that the market consistent approach um, is any less open to manipulation than the traditional method is. So there isn't even that advantage in the minds of investors. Investors are also desperately seeking for consistency in life assurance disclosure between IFRS earnings and embedded value. They spend too much time trying to reconcile the two sets of numbers, and they tend to reward companies that make this reconciliation easier. Sunlam has been richly awarded for doing this, and Discovery has had to fight a continuous uphill battle because its disclosure makes it more difficult to compare. I therefore believe that over the long term, investors would respond very favorably to EV disclosure based on IFRS liabilities. A further benefit of taking this step is that IFRS 4, phase 2, is likely to improve the quality and credibility of IFRS earnings. If embedded value reporting is not based on IFRS earnings when eventually IFRS 4, phase 2, is introduced, there is a possibility that investors may actually start to ignore embedded value and just focus on IFRS earnings. Um, using IFRS liabilities uh, for EV calculations can offer some complications, especially for companies that use future cash flows as part of NAV. Um, currently, negative rand reserves are zeroized for EV uh, calculation, and there's a chance that they may not be zeroized, or at least if zeroized in full, uh, under um, uh, EV uh, approach using IFRS liabilities. However, to ensure transparency, it's important that there's detailed disclosure of the level of NRR, um, as, well, as well as the level of second-tier margins. Um, we do think, though, that IFRS 4, Phase 2, would in any case lift a great deal of the secrecy surrounding these uh, second-tier margins. The third and final consideration for investors that I'm going to talk about is to see continuity in embedded value disclosure. It would be very damaging for a new EV basis to produce restated values that are markedly different from previous disclosure, as the unadjusted SAM basis may well do. This would lead to a definite dilution in the faith that investors place um, in embedded values, would certainly not convert any investors to using uh, EV methodology and may in fact discourage certain investors from doing it. So if SAM disclosure were, were to be used as the new basis for embedded value, it would have to be an adjusted basis if investors had any uh, say about it. Furthermore, such an adjusted SAM basis would have to be disclosed using the traditional representation, as was included uh, in the, the discussion document, um, if it were to pass the continuity test, that is. The problem is that to make this approach workable, multiple adjustments and tweaks are required. And it is not clear whether the theoretical purity of the SAM approach justifies the level of contortions required to make it useful for investors. So, in conclusion, it is my opinion that if investors had any say, they would choose an EV approach based on IFRS or IFRS liabilities that would allow them to make ready comparisons between IFRS results and EV results. They would accept an adjusted SAM disclosure as long as it's represented in the traditional format 
but also as long as it steers away from MCEV. Um, unadjusted SAM would, would not uh, go down well, in my opinion. Um, Gert mentioned uh, quite a few uh, important points in his presentation, but it was at the end, so let me just repeat uh, one or two of them. Um, I think the first one he didn't mention, we, we would like to see whatever basis is used, that the NAV is split between free surplus and required capital, that's number one. Number two, we would like to see uh, embedded value sensitivities, um, and furthermore, we'd like to see these embedded value sensitivities mandated, specific ones, and the, the, the NAV and VIF split also should be made compulsory. Um, experience variances and basis changes, we also want the NAV and VIF split to, make, to be made uh, uh, compulsory. Um, and this is an, a useful potential additional disclosure, uh, and that is to provide a cash flow profile um, for life assurance businesses. Discovery, for example, already does this. That, that, that would certainly be very useful. Uh, Hayat mentioned uh, that we want to have um, retain the audit requirement for embedded value. I think that's important. Uh, and this is an interesting one. We think auditors should be specifically tasked to look at mortality and lapse assumptions, which are critically important, but difficult to assess from the outside. And then lastly, um, as Gert mentioned, we, we think that um, the term structure of interest rates rather than the discrete point on the yield curve is better uh, and should be mandated as best practice, and that there should be better guidance on the setting of the risk discount rate, especially when it comes to determining the appropriate beta to use. Thank you very much. So there we have, folks, uh, a, an analyst's view as well as the two views that are coming out of the, uh, the EV committee. Um, the floor is now open to questions or comments. Didn't you discuss this over lunch like I told you to? <laughs> Deathly silence. Maybe I can start with a question. Maybe I'll start with a question that you put to me. Um, this is a question for Morris on behalf of someone else. Um, I thought to you, I don't like unadjusted sand basis, but it does have the merit to say, why should we as actuaries or insurance company managers be telling analysts how to value a business that is always just in many other company, they would be valuing themselves? So one argument for an unadjusted basically is to say, for the technical provisions, for the long-term insurance business, they're calculated something based on mortality and lapse rate, all those things that are arguably easier to do from an inside perspective. But when it comes to recurring stocks from group business or from uh, unit trust-like business, why shouldn't analysts be left to value that everywhere else? I, I, certainly, I certainly agree with you that um, embedded values are unique in that regard um, in, in the investment space, that it is an attempt, or at least 
initially was seen as an attempt to put a value on um, on the life issue as a whole. The interesting thing is that it probably had, had, a, had a, a negative impact on the ratings of life assurance companies initially because it was seen as a ceiling uh, for probably a decade um, after they were inter initially introduced. Uh, I think a, a key issue is that um, what is more important for, 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 for the investor is to be able to see uh, the kind of changes, etc., that happens in embedded value to determine whether a, a company deserves to trade at a premium or a discount uh, to embedded value. Um, and, and I think that the main argument for, for not following the approach that you are, are suggesting is the, um, the, the, the learning curve argument that uh, you, know, you would be introduced for, for, for the investment community. Uh, and uh, it, it's not clear whether it's uh, whether it would be be worth the while uh, of life assurers to to do that. Um, you know, their, inter their internal their internal uh, management information, um, the way that they measure themselves, uh, you know, is not going to be impacted. Um, and uh, and hence, I, I, I think the the the, the the investment community should be left to uh, assess the company in, 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 in that fashion. The guidance notes that 
um, certainly all the technical committees of act the actual society issues um, is there to um, um, protect the actual uh, profession um, in a very complex new world. Uh, good, good afternoon, it's Trish Devet. Um, I've got a comment and a, and a question. Uh, I think my comment is just practically. We've got Sam coming in 1st of January. Um, we're adopting a, a very different metric to what we have uh, in place right now. Uh, we, we, we cannot rush it. So going to a bottom-up, more consistent world prematurely uh, could be a, high, a very high-risk strategy. Uh, even SAM, which obviously uh, we are now introducing and adopting a bottom-up assessment, we, we're going to have to um, learn the implications of, of such a world. Uh, through, through trial and error. So I think uh, my, so my, my comment is that we, we must make sure that we don't have to rush prematurely into a bottom-up assessment. Uh, but, uh, but then my question is, uh, I, I am a very strong supporter of a bottom-up assess assessment uh, when we are ready. Um, my, 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 my question is, should... should, um, we, uh, should, should, should uh, have, the two views that have been presented, should, is there not a third view, uh, which, which perhaps address, <laughs> which perhaps is a subset of the two? Okay. Um, uh, a bottom, so link, maintaining the very strong link to IFRS uh, for all the important reasons that have been listed, but, but equally adopting a bottom-up approach. So presenting uh, uh, IFRS-based approach uh, in a bottom-up way, which I think is a subset of, of, of David, uh, David's uh, view. Um, and, and I think when we are ready, uh, having, going to a, the bottom-up world m must be the ultimate answer. I think internationally the trends are to bottom-up. Uh, IFRS is bottom-up. European uh, EVs, whether or, not, whether or not they call it EEV or MCV, all the top insurance companies are bottom-up. So it's just a matter of time before we get there, is my, is my personal view. Um, just to maintain the link to... Uh, without a bottom-up world, it's very hard to maintain the strong link between what that we will need to have between SAM-owned funds, which will be disclosed externally, and EV. Um, we, we need to have a very tight reconciliation between the two, and uh, if we have a top-down view on risk versus bottom-up, the additional volatility of that reconciliation is just going to not be good for our profession. And, and also the capital and the OSRA system and the role that EV plays in providing the feedback loop between uh, how risks are man, ma measured and managed and how we are uh, 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 measured externally in terms of our performance. So, so in conclusion, I, think, I don't think we should rush bottom-up. Uh, we're not ready to introduce it in Jan from 1st of January, in my personal view. It we must be well-developed. Uh, so in the meanwhile, we are in a transitional period uh, where we should maintain as close as possible continuity with the current world. Uh, but when we are ready, ideally, we would go to bottom-up and link it to IFRS. Thanks, Tris. Those are all, all interesting points. Um, so let me see how many of them I can remember my, my comments about. We're having a lot of conversations now about market consistency versus real world, which is, I guess, good. 
and I know there are strong views uh, around. Um, it's not actually a fundamental question around whether we use a SAM basis or an IFRS basis. We can do a traditional embedded value with a real-world projections and future profits discount or risk discount rate on either. So although it is related, and as I said in my presentation, I think the SAM basis lends itself slightly more towards that, you can absolutely do a real-world traditional embedded value with the SAM being the, what determines required capital and therefore how those components are separated out. Um, on MCEV, I think I've probably spoken in this room years gone by on MCEV, so I think uh, it's well known that I have a, uh, I, I do see perhaps more value in MCEV than, 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 than others. Um, what's, um, I was at a, a, a US Milliman conference last year, and some of the guys doing MA work there said something very interesting to me. When they are doing valuations from an equity perspective to buy the business, buy the shares, there's a real strong trend towards using MCEV. There does seem to be the steadily growing appreciation, especially in Europe, but also more broadly than that, that MCEV is a good way to come up with the equity value of the business and just you absolutely right. Whether they're calling it MCEV or EEV, the reporting is heading towards market business approaches in Europe. But when the deal is more debt-oriented, or someone's looking to invest an amount of debt in a company, that's when they flip to the real world. Because they actually want to know the actual expected cash flows that this business is going to be able to generate, is that going to be able to finance and repay the debt? Uh, which wasn't an angle that I thought about before, so look, realizing that for different purposes, different approaches might be worthwhile. The challenge is that, well, for me, I really am not actually that married to either approach. Again, in my view, they should give you the, the, the right answer. Probably the right way to choose would be for each individual company to say, right, what is going to make the most sense for us? What's going to be most consistent with our systems and our process and how we see the business and decide? But I don't know it's really worthwhile to have a system where different insurers are reporting on different bases. And that really is a challenge, trying to decide which one of these is going to be most best for everybody. We can take one more question. Yeah. Um, hi, uh, uh, Ian, Ian Marshall. Um, I, I'd just like to agree uh, with a lot of what uh, Drew said. You know, I think it's, um, I think the bottom-up approach is, is probably the right approach um, and that we also need to make sure that we, you know, you know that we don't rush into it. And, and, and especially one thing that I wanted to uh, sort of, I, I guess, highlight as well. I mean, I mean, we had a session earlier today uh, on, on IFRS. So we need to bear in mind that IFRS itself is changing. Um, and I'm wondering whether it's maybe something that we need to look at developing, you know, in, in such a way that we sort of, you know, finalize our position more or less in, in, in line when the IFRS comes in. Because I think the, uh, you know, so, so some, of the, some of the components of the IFRS is, uh, is is potentially different to to, to what we have currently, um, and, and then uh, I guess maybe just something to explore, which I've, I think has, has been raised a, a few times in uh, both uh, proposals, um, is around the use of equity risk premiums. Um, you know, to, 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 to have a, a, a risk-free rate, or, well, sorry, a, a, a discount rate, which, which allows for, you know, effectively the, the, the equity risk premium. I mean, given that IFRS is moving away from that, 
given that Sam is moving away from that, I mean, are, are we not just making things more difficult for ourselves in terms of uh, expanding, you know, the, the the different measures that we have? I mean, wouldn't it make sense to to stick to the to the risk-free approach um, that 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 we have, uh, rather than having, you, you know, the IFRS on using the risk-free basis, the uh, uh, Sam using the risk-free basis, but then having an embedded value which which doesn't really. Do either of you two want to comment on that one, or shall we just take that as a, a point for noting? A reasonably quick answer. Um, just I might explain some of my views. I don't calculate embedded values for published purposes. I use embedded values a lot. I check embedded values. I use it for transactions and value companies. So I guess in many ways I have the, the fortune of being able to choose the measure that I think makes most sense, not including equity risk premiums and all the problems around that. But I don't have to worry about analysts knocking my door and saying, we're not going to buy your share. Um, but again, I think the, the move, and Kat, I believe you said this as well several months ago, you do think that over time the move will probably be to market consistency, but it is now or later is maybe the question. Um, just uh, <laughs> one comment. So uh, I do believe it's, uh, uh, the move to market consistency is uh, um, uh, probably what you're looking at or bottom up. Um, but this debate is really about a balance sheet versus an income statement or a discounted income statement. That's actually what we the two options that we're looking at, rather than market consistent versus or real-world risk neutral. Marius, anything that you want to add quickly? No. <laughs> okay, I think, I think Marius, to me, made some very interesting points which are important for us to note in this whole debate was those three statements of simplicity, consistency, and continuity. And I think we should, as actuaries, bear those in mind even if it's uh, the guys who are actually having to report this stuff, bear that in mind in what you're doing, as opposed to us as a profession. Anyway, we have run over time uh, yet again. Uh, Paul will be in, uh, I'll be in trouble with Paul, who's convening the next session, but can we thank our panelists um, for their participation. Thank you. So,